And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back. The latest episode of The Shamrock. Pete Sampson joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Fortuna. Uh, Today, a name you're probably familiar if you're into bald guys or gambling or watching SportsCenter at Midnight. Stanford Steve joins the show. Talk a little bit of uh, over-unders, Notre Dame included, who may be the fourth team in the playoff. Um, And what the heck happened to uh, Stanford? Because that's a a program near and dear to his heart that has fallen on hard times. So uh, that'll be the second half of the show. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Pretty good conversation about kind of on a national level um, on a bunch of different stuff. But Matt, uh, before we get into that, Notre Dame couple injuries, Jared Patterson, maybe Cam Hart as well. Um, let's talk about that. And we definitely need to have, it might be the last word since it came out a week ago on <laughs> uh, the Manti Teo documentary that was out on Netflix. I know we both watched it and I, I hesitated to say like I enjoyed it, but I, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was yes. interesting and well done. Uh, I, I agree. Let, let's go to the football first. <laughs> um, Two, I mean, big, high-profile named injuries. The severity of both unclear at the moment. Um, not the first injury for Jerry Patterson this year, unfortunately, after he decided to return for a fifth year, but significant nonetheless. Uh, Kim Hart won, you know, you know more about this than I do, but if that guy's anything less than 100% going to this game, that's really concerning for me. And that's not to diminish the importance of Jared Patterson, but but that's an offensive line with a lot of experienced bodies and really good coaching there. Kim Hart was, along with Brandon Joseph, the shining stars of, of this kind of retooled rebound redemption year secondary that's going to get the toughest test he'll probably ever have right out of the gate. So uh, I, I think he'll play, right? I mean, I do too. at least that's yeah. the prognosis I, I think now, that but again, fine to play. Anything other than 100% going up against Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith, and Jigba, that, 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 that's a little nauseating if I'm a Notre Dame fan right now there's, to think about. There's no doubt, because I think with Patterson in the foot, um, the strain, the plantar fascia, like he's casted up right now. I know Marcus Freeman has talked about him maybe being an answer to the bell. I don't anticipate that happening, um, not because Jared Patterson is not a tough dude, just like he's got a serious injury. Uh, and I think when that hit, you're like, oh, man, that's you know, Notre Dame had to run the ball. They had to control the clock. Does this sort of take away from it? And it, I think it does a little bit. I mean, Patterson is a very talented player. I think that if there's a spot where you can get by, it's probably interior offensive line. Um, I think their two offensive tackles are just absolutely outstanding, um, and they'll be able to work around it. You can't hide. Uh, a corner who's struggling uh, or the lack of experience at corner if Cam Hart can't go. And, and again, I think that he will play. I'm almost certain he will play in the game. I think he may just miss about a week with what I believe is, you know, kind of a, a hamstring tweak, which he had. I don't know if it's the same hamstring, but uh, was a little bit limited around the bowl game time last year and played. So it uh, they need him badly because he, you know, he was, we had Bruce Feldman on. Um, Cam Hart was the freaks list guy. He was, I think, the first freaks list guy on on Notre Dame's roster this year. So he's a lot of great ability there, and they they need all of that at one hundred percent at Ohio State. They're just they just do. They can't they can't afford anything less. Now Stanford Steve shouts him out later in this episode as well as a, a fellow DMV guy. Um, again, I, I hate to like invoke images that will give fans PTSD, but <laughs> I think we all saw the importance of a really good corner last time Notre Dame played an elite group of receivers in the Cotton Bowl after the 2018 season. Oh, yeah. um, were they going to win that game? Probably not, but like they may have had a chance and Julian Love got hurt and that game was over and 
two minutes of game time. Um, that, that's why maybe I'm overreacting to, to, to Cam Hart's um, injury, non-injury, whatever it may be. But, you know, I tweeted this excerpt from your story um, last week about Notre Dame's receivers, and I'll quote it here verbatim. Lindsey, Brady Lindsey, led the returning wide receivers with 32 catches for 350 yards and three touchdowns last season. Styles is next at 24 catches for 344 yards and one touchdown. The score coming in the Fiesta Bowl. The rest of the turners at the position total nine catches for 124 yards last season. As a point of comparison, Ohio State's Jackson Smith and Jigba put up almost as much production in the Rose Bowl as any of Notre Dame's returning receivers registered all season. That was 15 catches, 347 yards, three touchdowns. Um, <laughs> and let's not game. forget, it's let's insane. not forget, he was their at best third best receiver last year. <laughs> now yeah, he was number yeah. one in that game, but still, it, it's. I think that's the best position group in the country. Ohio State wide receivers. They've recruited it. They've shown it on the field. Probably not a complete coincidence that that all happened when Ryan Day took over and Brian Hartline took over position coach duties full time because he's a rising star um, in the coaching business as well. But I mean that that's an elite elite test, um, and you've got to be at full strength to even have a chance against these guys. It, yeah, I agree with all that. There's no doubt. Um, all right, quick. Final take on uh, the Teo documentary. I, I get my my initial reaction was like, wow, I actually learned quite a bit. I didn't know before. Um, I wanted Deadspin held to much more account than they were uh, for the eighty percent line. But what was really powerful that about the whole enterprise to me was like at the end, I thought Manti got to say what he had been waiting ten years to say about how this affected him personally and how he has come out the other side of that. And that was, and I hesitate to say like, I got emotional watching it. Um, but having covered him and known him only in a reporter player kind of way, um, uh, that was a very, very powerful moment. Yeah. I, I think I texted you the morning after it aired and I said like, Hey, did you watch this? This was actually pretty good. And, and, and I say that because like, Personally, I was not looking forward to it. I watch it kind of out of obligation because I covered it in real time. Like it wasn't something I was dying to watch. I mean, it's been talked about in nausea. Me and you have written about it in nauseam. ESPN had a documentary about a year ago that didn't really reveal anything new. So I just thought like, all right, here's another yeah, what's, one. What's there to say about it that right. hasn't already been and said? It was good. Like it was good. I mean, look, there, I, I had similar issues to it that you did, right? I mean, um, I'm not giving ourselves a free pass here. It wasn't the, the, our shiny moment as a established press corps. Um, and Deadspin did break the story. All credit to them. But like, when you talk about like the apology Manti Teo is owed, I think a lot of that goes to secondhand 80%, like yep. very shoddy speculative reporting on a story that otherwise shine a light on something that, um, was purported to be true and wasn't true. Uh, but, but, it worked because you had the perpetrator and the victim here and you got to hear both their sides of the story. Um, I know a lot of people have a lot of reactions to, to both of them. Um, I don't know how, especially in Teo's case, I don't know how you don't come out of this without feeling any empathy um, for him. Like to, to hear him talk about it, to hear about the effect it had on him as a football player, the, the place that was his domain where he could get away from everything. Um, it, it, it was really, really touching. And to hear the, the perpetrator side, I mean, again, a lot of people have their opinions on this. I'm not discounting them. Um, it almost like made sense of the nonsensical, if that makes sense. Like it at least like gave you a window into how this became a thing and what it was. Like I remember uh, in real time, I did not know what catfishing was. Like I was like, what is right. this? Like again, I, I remember thinking in real time, like, if someone had tipped me off to this story at that moment in time, I don't think I would have followed up on it because I never heard of catfishing, nor did I understand the concept behind it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of personal stuff that, that Naya gets into um, here as well. But no, it was um, – look, I, I think in the end, no spoilers. Well, maybe a spoiler. Manti Teo essentially says, I can forgive Naya for what he did to me. I think if Manti Teo can do it, then the rest of the world can can move on as well. Um, but certainly, um, 
It was interesting. I, I, I liked and I appreciated that they kept the interview list very small because it's mm-hmm. one of those stories where we all had opinions on it um, and we all had hunches about it. Uh, but only two people actually knew what was going on. Like even I know I have, I'm sure you have talked to dozens of Teo's teammates from that year. And a lot of them, I wouldn't say they weren't sympathetic, but a lot of them were like, yeah, he should have known better. Or, Hey, like he never brought advertised her as his girlfriend to us. It was just a friend, yada, yada, yada. Uh, even in that regard, um, the Notre Dame voices were Jack Swarbrick, who helped with the response, and Robbie Toma, who's Manti Teo's childhood best friend and teammate, who knows the guy better than anyone. So um, I, I liked how they kept it very tight in that regard. I agree, and I, I agree with that. I also think that it was good that um, an inexplicable story was made like, oh, okay, it right. would take these 12 things to happen for this event to occur. And lo and behold, all 12 things happened. Um, you know, not to speak in Stanford Steve's parlance here, but like a 12-team parlay had to hit <laughs> um, for the Manti story to take the, you know, go the way that it did. And it did. Uh, and I thought that Manti got um, what it's not what he deserved, but like what he was owed in some ways was the ability to have the last word on it. And I think he finally does. So I, I appreciate that element of the, uh, the entire enterprise as well. It, it is really crazy looking back on that season, like to your point with improbability. Oh my God. Like, keep that to on the field. And again, we've written and talked about this a lot. Chuck Martin has told you on the record, <laughs> we were close, yeah. right? <laughs> and that story we wrote, Closer to like, what do you wrote? Nine, then 13 and Oh, yes. And, <laughs> I was with a senior from that team fairly recently, um, pre-documentary, uh, who said something along the lines of, man, I was glad that was my last game because if I knew I had three more years of trying to measure up to what an actual champion looks like that we just saw on the field in Alabama, I would not know how we'd ever possibly be able to do that because that's how much better Alabama was programmatically than Notre Dame, which again, people are going to, Notre Dame haters will take that one day. In, in, in my opinion, that shows you how fun and crazy and well-coached and well-prepared that team was that season to, 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 to turn up with 12 victories uh, with a preseason unranked team and a not very potent offense. So um, it was crazy. Uh, the off the field stuff certainly contributed something to that. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard a different version over the years of man ties out of position on this play and up. Oh, he got an interception again. What do you know? Yeah. Like things are just breaking our way this year. Um, it was a weird year and it was fun from a football standpoint to relive that year and all, all the, the craziness that came with it, especially because Notre Dame had not been a very good football program in the two decades prior to that. So um, it's easy to forget about that. Now the story itself was crazy. I don't know about you. I, I much like in real time when it happened, I heard from a lot of people, um, I don't normally talk to um, who are watching that who are not who aren't even sports fans who are like, oh, hey, didn't you cover this? Like, this is crazy. Like, what do you remember? Like, it it was interesting in that regard. It wasn't something I was necessarily looking forward to. But again, I think the documentary itself did a pretty good job of not sensationalizing anything, of keeping the facts as kind of bare and plain for all to see as humanly possible and getting the two main voices in there. So in, in that regard, again, I, I, I went in with very low expectations. Um, I came out pretty darn impressed with, with the production as a whole. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I think like one of the elements that wasn't featured in there and it was fine, that it wasn't, was like what a circus 2012 was around here. Um, mm-hmm. How and I was trying to explain this to somebody over in the Goog who wasn't around at this time. Explain it like because the question was like how how could you not push back on this or like check it at the time? And I was like every press conference that fall began with some version of talk about the excitement as the first question, and like <laughs> I sort of got it. And like we joke about that now, and it's like oh three and oh, um, but like. Once it got to like the Oklahoma game and then you get out of the Pittsburgh game a week later, you're like, holy shit, this is happening. Uh, and it, it just it really it I've never covered a, a, a season like it in 22 years. I will never cover another season like it in no. the next 22, assuming that I'm still around. But it it had every like there's nothing more joyous than like for a, as a if you're a fan of a team than having unexpected success out of nowhere after you've waited 25 years to have right. it. And there was just so much mojo around Notre Dame at that time. It's just, it people, people got drunk off it. I think some, you know, some people in the media did as well. Yeah. I mean, two things. One, I mean, I don't think a season like that can happen in college football in the playoff era where a team legitimately, I mean, again, maybe if Kansas state goes undefeated, Notre Dame plays Kansas state in the title game and, Maybe Notre Dame pre- goes from preseason unranked to national champion. Like that can't happen in the playoff era. But like people genuinely believe they had a chance to win that Alabama game. So like I, I think um, we've all been a little jaded by the playoff era where it's the same couple teams every year. So from a football standpoint, that's correct. The other part, I mean, yeah, I mean, like look, hindsight's twenty twenty. I specifically remember when the story of of what I'm getting the names all confused here. The fake and real names, Lene died it was i don't know if it was a message board or what but like it was something where like brian kelly got asked about it i think on the thursday press conference before the michigan state game like hey will manti play this week and it was like what happened and i remember speaking to to people in the program they're like yeah we we think it was just a friend of his we don't know but like Mm -hmm. someone close to him died like it quickly ballooned you know two days later post michigan state to like does my girlfriend, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, the thing took on a life of its own. I also specifically remember asking Brian Teo, Manti's dad, um, who, like a lot of us, I'm sure, got pretty close with throughout that season because that family was a quote machine. Um, hey, we have not – I'm doing a story on Manti and his season. We have not heard from the Kekuas. Um, You've sung their praises to me and others. Would you mind making that connection? I'd love to talk to them and hear their – perspective on how their late daughter's boyfriend is playing this season for her. And he said they'd like to remain private. And again, that's fine. Like you're yeah, not you're normally talking at face value, right? Right. Like if you're not talking to the press in general, like you're not a public figure. And if you just underwent what was purported to be a human tragedy, yeah, you're probably less inclined to get on the phone with a stranger than 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 otherwise. So I didn't again in retrospect, yes, that's a red flag, but like it wasn't something in real time where I'm like, well, something's up here. Like I haven't seen the death certificate yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of it. The other part, I don't think this has been brought up and look, it's already been such a, a crazy story. I don't think it's um, too crazy to throw this potential wrinkle in there. He finds out at the Heisman ceremony, it comes out about a week after that title game. Can you imagine if that Deadspin report or any other report exposing this came out before that Alabama game, the circus that that would have been. No, no, I, nor, nor do I want to, <laughs> I, I can't comprehend it. Cause it was already beyond comprehension. 
when we I thought mean, it was real and they were in the we title. We already game. hammered the media hospitality room at the BCS National Championship <laughs> game <laughs> no, that year. I, it, it just would have been obliterated. Like I think we would have uh, drank that entire county dry in Fort Lauderdale if we had to cover <laughs> that on top of the game itself. Never mind the fact that Notre Dame's head coach interviewed for the Eagles right immediately after the game. So that was that was another fun little wrinkle of that time and place. I, I was I specifically remember so that happens right after the game. Uh, my grandmother, diehard Notre Dame fan, actually died right after the game for real. I can show you the death certificate if anyone's questioning me. So I, I take a few days off for her funeral. My first day back. Um, I think it was Brian Hamilton on the beat who texted me saying, hey, I think Deadspin's about to drop a story here that's going to make our lives very, very complicated. Um, And again, (laughs) you think about all the bad crap that happens in college sports and all the weird stuff we'd covered in the year or two prior to that in Notre Dame. And I had a million different scenarios going through my mind of what that story could be. Catfishing, (laughs) fake dead, dead people, was not among them. And even then it was like, cause you know, they interviewed Dr. Phil and the thing, Katie Kirk, the cringy questions and exchanges there. Um, I remember a group of us, I'm sure you were in it. The beat was much bigger at the time. Maybe three weeks after we're on like an email or text chain. We're like, all right, so when can we stop writing about this? Cause he doesn't play her anymore. No laws were broken. No NCAA rules were violated. Um, we think we know all we need to know now that Renaya has gone on Dr. Phil. Like, is this not a story anymore? When's it not a story? Because it's still all anyone wants to ask us about and talk about. Um, and it just kind of slowly died down. But it, it, it was crazy. There will never be anything like it. It really won't. No. And hopefully that nothing even comes close to challenging it. Uh, we would all we all be in a better place if that was the case. All right. Let's skip it at our interview with uh, Stanford Steve on all things over under wins, Notre Dame, and why uh, Michael Mayer uh, could beat up Brock Bowers and perhaps – even more than that. So Stanford Steve is next. Thanks for being with us on this episode of the Shamrock. Definitely keeping in line, getting back to um, before the show, Fortuna said getting back to our roots, which is just a little too on the nose um, for a, a bald Did reference. Not intended that way, but yeah, sometimes so, so, well, lines. this podcast is called the Shamrock. Originally, we wanted to call it domes on domers and management uh, vetoed the idea. But uh, Steve, th- thanks for joining us. Hopefully you feel comfortable talking to a couple of bald guys, one of them who is tall and skinny and wearing glasses. So I hope this is a, a comfortable place for you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny, Pete. Every time I'm at a game and you're there, I got to do a double take because I'm like, <laughs> wait, I thought Scott was, wasn't traveling and I'm here. For the show so uh no it's great uh i appreciate you guys thinking of me uh matt you and i go back a long time p your work with with what you've you know started and and, and kept on doing is, is awesome i don't think anybody um does it better when it comes to notre dame so uh i, I do think uh a lot of you guys um for having me on for sure we'll, we'll start with notre dame you had on our, our last guest bruce feldman on your show last week and uh you may have unintentionally declared yourself the president of the Michael Mayer fan club, a guy who is not one of Bruce Feldman's freaks, but who is a freak in his own right and will probably break a lot of records this year for Notre Dame. Um, what do you see out of him this year and as a position near and dear to your heart? Where do you put him, not just this year, but but in recent history as, as far as what he could potentially do this year among the tight end, tight end position? Well, I declared myself the president of the Mayer fan club like three years ago uh, when I first <laughs> saw the kid. Uh, I was just blown away, and then just talking to people with the program, every single you couldn't find a bad word about the kid, man. Whether it's helping guys at his own position, whether it's taking more on in, in a responsibility role, or whether it's just flat out going out in the field and producing, man. Um, you know, there were some lean um, offensive situations I thought for Notre Dame last year. You know, when the injuries happened and they got to go young. Uh, I go back to the Purdue game. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. With Carl, you know, having to deal with Carl Aftis with two young guys, and and Mayer's still there as that rock for for the you know the Dora quarterbacks, um, you know w- when health arisen for uh, for Cone. So I just look at, I mean, I just watch. I love watching him every single week. Uh, he brings something different to the table. He's so versatile that that's why I'm confident in Notre Dame this year because. You know, he could line up everywhere. And now what everybody does um, and that what Notre Dame has done is I call it the Kelsey with the Chiefs is 
they'll go three by one and in the tight end mayor or Kelsey will be that one receiver. So it's like, all right, how are you going to, you're going to go one-on-one with this guy uh, or are you even going to take it out? And I think that's the things when I think about formations where I think Tommy Reese is so good is that they can use that to their advantage to help maybe where they don't have an advantage. You know what I'm saying? Like in the run game, if they could get another guy out of the box, I think they got to run the ball more this year. So I, I look at them being able to formation people, knowing how good and how valuable Mayer is and what other teams think of him. So I, I think the world of the kid, I really do. All right. Imagine the scenario. We lock Michael Mayer and Brock Bowers from Georgia in a cage together. How quickly does Mayer uh, kill Bowers <laughs> and escape from the cage? Uh, I, I've i gone back. I've gotten myself in trouble with my – um. I have a lot of friends down in Athens, and <laughs> I've said Michael Mayer is the best tight end in the country. This is what I, I go on any any radio show I go on south of Tennessee. This is what I say just yep. to like as a trial balloon. Like, how does this sound to you guys? Because this is the truth. And, and here's what I'll say is I uh, I know Georgia's got the best tight end room. I In my opinion, okay? In my opinion, I think they have the best tight end room. But when you talk about having guys do all the dirty work, like, you know, uh, Darnell could do some stuff. They got Gilbert back to help make, you know, maybe keep Brock a little more fresher for those go routes uh, <laughs> or those short ones that he busts out. Mayer doesn't have that. Uh, I love Big Mitch. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table this year uh, for the Irish. And um, But I, I, I might, you, you're not getting me to take anyone over Michael Mayer in a one-on-one steel cage match. I'll so his team, <laughs> his team is a 15 and a half point underdog right now, according to that MGM at Ohio State, over under 58 and yeah. a half. Obviously, that's a high line. I, I think even the the, the most die diehard of Notre Dame fans would be happy to or at least content to get out of there with, with a impressive loss, for lack of a better term. Do, do you see a path to victory for Notre Dame in, in this game? And if so, what is that path? Well, here <laughs> Here's the problem I have is I thought Notre Dame I, – I think Notre Dame where they could do is, – is, is cause some di- disruption with their defensive line and their front seven. The problem is is that I think Jimmy Knowles is the perfect hire because when I think about Ohio State, everybody's going to talk about what he's going to do with the defense. I think he's so demanding and such a good coach, he's going to help the physicality of the Ohio State offensive line. So that's that's where I feel like – when I first thought about it, Notre Dame, I'm like, all right, they could do, they could hold their own, you know, maybe not be able to let Stroud take those deep drops for those double, triple moves that Smith and Jigba and those guys love to do. You know, I go back to the Minnesota game last year. You know, Ibrahim gets hurt, they're rolling, and then they just wait it out. Ohio State waits it out. And Day, I think, is the best play caller in the sport. I really do. He has his foot on the gas constantly. Uh, but I think going back to it, Knowing, I know the the injury uh, to Pet to Pedersen, and there's hope there. Um, talking to people, and I mean, you guys have covered it too. But I do think they're going to be improved with the Notre Dame secondary. Now, is there going to be a couple hiccups? Yeah, that's what Ohio State does to you. Um, there, there, you just you, you you can't, you know, bend but don't break. That that's not going to work because then they'll take whatever they want, and the running backs a, a, a complete um, player in himself and Travion Henderson. So. I yeah, obviously you you gotta play well too, and that's what the other thing in these circumstances with that I think happens. Notre Dame, it's happened, and when they got into the playoff, they haven't played well in those games, and you don't have a chance if you're not going to play well there. So I think they're not going to be afraid of anything. Um, they've seen guys. Uh, I I do think um, what they're going to have a different approach, obviously, defensively than they had against Oklahoma State in the bowl game also. So I think it's going to be more buttoned up. I think running the ball is going to be a priority. And then, you know, put a little onus on, on Ohio State. They're, it's not like they get, these guys became, you know, NFL players overnight. There's going to be a process. Obviously, you hear all the stuff out of Columbus that their defensive ends are going to have a lot better year. Well, they better because these are – I think it's two of the last uh, – three seasons are the worst scoring defenses in, in the school's history. So they're going to be improved, but I'd rather get Ohio state week one, I think than week seven, you know, or later. So um, how much is going to be on Buckner's shoulders? 
Are we going to have some design QB runs on on third? And, you know, can you keep third downs manageable? That's where I think, and that's why I like Tommy Reese. I, I trust him in his play calling to get his team in the best situation. He plays to his strengths all the time, and that's, that's why I, I do give them a shot. I know everybody's asking what's the bigger blowout, Ohio State or in Notre Dame or Georgia and Oregon. Um, I, I think it's more so on the other side because I do feel like Notre Dame's seen elite players and teams before, and they're not going to be wowed by anything. So I, I, I think that they have the goods to definitely make it a game. I think a lot of this offseason, I've sort of looked over the Michigan game and the Oregon game last year for Ohio State. Like, okay, what are some common denominators there? I think Michigan yeah. is like sort of an outlier that's like, uh, that was a cathartic religious experience for Jim Harbaugh and that entire mm-hmm. fan base. No doubt. O- Oregon seems like a lot more like, okay, if Notre Dame can replicate something, it's what Oregon did. And like, you know, big plays offensively. But for me, the the big thing, and I was curious your opinion on this is like Oregon's offense put pressure on Ohio state's offense in the sense, yes. like they had to go for it three times on fourth down, missed all three, one. In, I think it was one in each quarter to start the game. Yeah. Did, do you, like, do you sort of see that as like a sneaky factor? Like Tommy Reese has to give Ryan Day something to think about. It's like not Al Golden, Jim Knowles. It's how does Reese sort of make Day think about, all right, do I go for it here? Do I have to get more aggressive than I want to actually be? Yeah, and and I don't think Tommy's ever been afraid to pull the trigger when they need a big play. But you can't have to do that every series. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think Buckner with his legs, I think – Tommy's smart enough to keep those third down and manageable because now you stack a couple third downs together and convert or just move the change on first and second down. Now game's shrinking, right? And now the pressure's even on more Ohio State on their offense. And yeah, Ohio, Notre Dame's had some busts in their in their secondary. But like I said, they, they, it's not like they haven't seen guys that are good. Is this the best receiving core in the in the country? Probably, yeah. But Notre Dame has guys that have seen that. And, you know, I think about a kid from down here in, in D.C. and Cam Hart. Like, I'm expecting a, a big year from here. I mean, I look at that guy in his uniform. I mean, he looks like a Greek god when he comes out with the jersey, you know, over the belly button and everything. So I think those guys will be fired up. It's 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 amazing what Ryan Day could do messing with DB's eyes, too, though. And that's where I think Notre Dame has to be disciplined. And it's the one thing I feel like, you know, I keep saying you're not going to see what you saw from Notre Dame defensively against Oklahoma State. It's just not going to happen with, with Golden coming in. And it, is this, this is the third DC for Notre Dame in three years, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think Marcus is going to spend plenty of time making sure they're buttoned up because the one thing you'll always realize, and that's why I say it, it, it blows my mind when there are so many mental breakdowns on defense. When you're on the road, it's quiet usually, right? They want to be quiet for the offense. So your defense has got to get your checks right. You got to make sure you know what coverages you're in and all that stuff. So I do think um, Notre Dame has the veteran guys to be able to be in what they're supposed to be, which is the which is the starting of all this, right? Uh, because that's that's where Ryan Day can start messing with you and 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 messing with the with the, the you know the liabilities if you have any on defense. I think it's a very plausible scenario, and I'm not saying this will happen, but Notre Dame gets gets boat race in week one and goes 11 and one. I can absolutely see that happening because yep. Ohio State might be the best team in the country this year. No, that said, the over the over under for Notre Dame is eight and a half, which is yeah. Uh, I think it was eight and a half last year. They went way over that. Now you've got minus 150 juice on the over here. I, I, what do you, what do you think? I mean, I think it's easy to take for granted that Brian Kelly won every single game as a favorite over the last four or five years and did a great job of winning the games you're supposed to win. And you just don't have that guarantee with a first year head coach, which way are you leaning when you look at that schedule and you see that number? I, I, I guess I, I brought it up on my podcast last week. I could see them run the table after that game. I really do. I look at two games um, that I don't know what's going to happen. And that's North Carolina and BYU. Uh, those are the two games where, it's possible. Like North Carolina goes to um, Boone, and then they go to like Atlanta to play Georgia State, and that's just weird to me. And now they named made the starting quarterback. Um, 
Mac Brown says he doesn't have a plan uh, for the quarterbacks, but I don't believe him when he says that. Uh, so what is North Carolina going to be? Could they bust out offensively with all these guys they've gotten and, and you know score a ton of points? Could they be favored in that Notre Dame game? I don't know. And what's Notre Dame going to look like out of this game? Because when you start thinking about it, it's the physicality of Ohio State and knowing how many guys they can run at you, right? Like, you know, I heard you guys talking about Notre Dame's depth and what, what are we going to have left on the defensive line? What's what's the linebacker core look like? And that's that's where you think about it's tough to project, and that's what makes it so fascinating is what are they going to come out of week one looking like? Is everybody going to be intact? Because if they are, they're, they'll, they'll be good to go. They're going to learn so much about what they have. And I think Marcus Freeman did that in the bowl game. And I think he's going to even do more so of that after week one to assess things. Like if there was competition for uh, places, hey, let's get these guys in if the game is a, is a multiple score game and see what we got so we have some tape on them. And then it's a teaching tool. So I think Notre Dame is really looking forward to seeing what they have as a whole in week one. And then when you go down the schedule, yeah, Clemson is, is going to be Clemson. But what is it guaranteed they're going to be better? Like is, is there a switch that DJ put on? At QB, I don't see that. I think they're going to try and run the ball more uh, to take more pressure off them for sure. But I, I think all the games are gettable. I, I still think UCLA and Utah should be considered um, the favorites for that Pac-12 South with with all the hype SC's getting in. I, I know SC's getting offensive line guys back, but there's a serious depth issue. And, you know, you guys have talked plenty about offensive line depth issues. Uh, SC has plenty. And I, I, I'm fascinated to see what SC is coming out of September. You know, they go to Stanford. It's a, it's a home game for SC there. Uh, and then they go to Corvallis, which has always been a tricky spot. And I think Fresno is the best team in the Mountain West. So I think that's going to be their toughest game. I think Fresno could actually beat them. Uh, so I, I think down the schedule, Notre Dame's – I mean, they, they consistently get better as the season goes, as good teams do. So running the table, probably best scenario after Ohio State, yes. Um, but I definitely think 9-3 and three at the latest, at the least. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, a team and a program near and dear to your heart, Stanford, over under yeah. four and a half. What's what's happened to the Cardinal? It was, I mean, it was really one of like an underrated great rivalry in in college football ten years yeah. ago, and it really has sort of fallen off on the Stanford side of things. How what's what's happening in there? Well, what happened in uh, you know what's funny is we talk. Uh, you guys brought up Brock Bowers and how the hell did he get to yeah. Georgia from Napa? <laughs> and when you talk to people down there. His parents basically said, all right, we can't do anything in California. We're going on a road trip. And they went all the way down uh, to Atlanta and Athens. And that's how they they got lucky and, and, and kept it pretty quiet. And the kid loved the place. And when you that's what I think about with Stanford is the lockdown. Um, guys, I mean, they did a camp and then they had to go back home. They didn't have any – like after the season, they cut it short. The kids didn't want to go to a bowl game because they were so tired of being on lockdown. And – I mean, you guys have been there. I went there. It's the best. It's the best looking campus there is in the country. And when you can't bring people in, it's it's really a problem because seeing that place and what the capabilities are, whether it's you know being close to Silicon Valley and San Francisco and that area of the country, it sells itself. It really does, and it blew me away when I went there on my visit. So that I mean, it was almost two years where they couldn't bring recruits on campus. Mm -hmm. I think. And then when you factor in the recruiting that they struck out on and the guys that haven't produced, that's a that's a bad mix 
when you talk about a numbers game and you're still trying to get to 85 scholarships where everybody else could just bring in guys to fill it from the transfer portal. So now they finally had a full year. That's normal. Um, I do think uh, a lot of Tanner McKee, I think he's a really good quarterback. The receivers are back to what Shaw likes, the big physical guys, the offensive line. I mean, the, the run game, that's the problem, is they, they they can't ever get any movement on the offensive line, and the defensive line is just atrocious. They were last in the Pac-12 in, in rush yards given up last year. Uh, I still trust David Shaw. I, 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 I do. Um, I know plenty of people are asking what his job is, and, and it's, Stanford's not like these other blue bloods, yep. you know, like – they're going to remember the success they had. So I, I do think uh, a bowl game is gettable for Stanford this year. I do. Uh, I, I think more so than ever, uh, health is is a, is a is a serious issue uh, when it comes down to injuries. Knowing the lack of depth they have, they got a good recruiting class coming in next year, which hopefully they can keep going forward. But those Pac-12 North teams, I don't think anybody's that good. I mean, I think you have half the division as first-year coaches. So I think Stanford has a little more stability than those teams. Um, so I, I, I think a bowl game is, is is definitely gettable for them this year. I'm not sure, much like it was at Notre Dame, I'm not sure there's a bigger gap between perception and reality than there is with Brian Kelly. Uh, whether it was all the good things he did at Notre Dame, the way he exited, all the weird things he said at LSU, but what he usually does behind the scenes. Six and a half for LSU. I mean, I know there's a lot of juice on, on that oversight, but – to me, that just seems like selling Brian Kelly and that that blue blood of a program short. I know they're not anywhere near the level they'll be at two, three years from now, but but how do you see the Brian Kelly experiment long-term working out in Death Valley? Uh, I like it. I like it. I've talked to plenty of people down there and uh, have a bunch of friends down there, and they always, you know, they love the Orgeron hire because it was a fit, you right. know, because he was from there. And people have said that, and I could be stealing it, but a good fit, you know what makes a good fit? Winning. And Brian Kelly's won, you know, at, at Notre Dame. And and when I I'm biased because I I I trust him as a head coach. I really do. And I think he gets it done. Uh when you look at that roster, there's a lot of capability there. I it, I would probably take their wide receiving group right behind Ohio State when it comes to all the groups in the country. I do think they're that talented. So that's why I think the quarterback situation is gonna be handled correctly uh i look what he's done going back to what was it caleros and tony pike at cincinnati <laughs> and the way he wheeled and deal at notre dame like he's always gotten them in the right situation uh but i just think of a structure and a stability you know this week came out there's guys with academic probation uh issues and that's brian i i think putting his foot down saying this is how things are going to be done they do have probably the best pass rush in the conference when you look at guys that are coming back. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of turnover in that. Like, I'll, Ole Miss is a team. I don't know what the hell they're going to look like. And they have a really manageable schedule. Uh, they could go 7-0 and and Lane could look like a genius. Uh, you know, I just think of him like as the, as the best daycare teacher in college <laughs> football because he just keeps bringing guys in and they produce. And – you know, he loses both coordinators now, and he, and he plays it off in his press conference, but he has done a great job of bringing guys in and making them feel comfortable. Uh, but I, I think LSU definitely wins seven. Uh, I will say this. If they don't win the opener, they're not going to go over their season win total, I don't think. I think that's a huge game uh, for them. It, I call it a home game in New Orleans against Florida State, but I look at his, his one. He, he said you got to run the football in the SEC West. I believe he's going to do that, and that'll handle a lot more things um, offensively and defensively. They've done a bunch of work in the portal too, but yeah, I, I think the only side to play is, is over six and a half with LSU. Well, it took Brian Kelly seven years to figure out you had to run the ball in South Bend too to win, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that he took that lesson from up here and brought it brought it down there. It's really important. Um, I was interested, like we're we're sort of throwing teams and over unders at you. What when you sort of look at nationally, yeah, are there over unders where you're like, oh man, I love that? Yeah, they're just not the sexy teams. Yeah, uh, I always, I always, I have a saying where when it comes to a season win total, I want to get it over as fast as possible. Uh, so <laughs> like I was looking at Northwestern, um, 
I there's no there's no way Pat Fitzgerald's going to be as bad as he was last year. Like I just you talk about having a trust in a guy and a coaching staff. Yeah. Like that lines up to thirteen now, week one, and I go back to what Nebraska looked like week one last year. I think the seniors that Northwestern has, I you know they probably got maybe the best left, uh, left tackle in the country. They got the running back back. Uh, it's just the quarterback situation. I mean, they had Ramsey for the COVID year, but since Thorson left, they they just haven't been able to get consistency there. Um, but I think there are games there that are gettable. Uh, I don't like what I've seen out of Bloomington. I would take the under with the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, I just um, – and, and same thing with Michigan State. I don't think you could just plug and play year after year. And I've, said, I've stated that Mel has violated – the transfer portal. And I just don't think that's sustainable because at some point you're going to need some depth. And I think that's where people are going to realize a transfer. Every guy, uh, you know, when you read these previews, yeah, we've used the portal to find a position where we need, you know, stability or we need a starter. And that's going to catch up with you because now you're not filling out your roster the way you should be. So I think the weight is going to go towards the transfer where it should be, hey, let's take a guy, redshirt him, and then he's our offensive lineman moving forward. So um, it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, that's all these season previews. It's just trying to keep who's where and, and how long do they have? You know, are they going to leave again? Like, that's the other thing. You, you got guys, uh, Maryland here had a guy leave to go to Kansas State and now he's at UCF. Uh, so there, there should be some accountability for these players, but I mean, it's it's the wild west. It feels like with, with with guys moving around. So, I look at that. I do. Um, I'm trying to think of a top ten team. I I like. See, to me, I think everybody's playing for one spot because I think Georgia has enough to get back. So I have Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama in the playoff. And now I'm just trying to figure out who the hell um, that fourth team is going to be. So that's why I'm still diving in and trying to set. Uh, Check some depth charts. I don't think Utah has no chance of going over their season win total if they lose week one at Florida. Uh, They're not going to lose that. that game, are they, though? I think that that's my favorite week one line. I just don't see how the Utes lose I, that game. I, I hate giving a couple points on the road. And, and when you talk about an environment like Florida, Florida, I like the under there this year. I love the hire a Napier. I just don't think that roster is that good right. right now. And I saw he had a quote. Um, last week or over the weekend, he said uh, Anthony Richardson has 33 pass attempts in his career, and most Florida good quarterbacks here have 33 touchdowns in a season. So um, I, I, I just I, we talk about stability with Billy. I, I like moving forward. He's going to do fine recruiting moving ahead. This is a tricky year, obviously with with all that's going on and, and when it happened. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like every time being a Pac-12 guy, I always find my, you know, this is a huge spot because I was saying there's three games early on. Notre Dame falls into this. Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oregon, Georgia, um, Utah and Florida, and then Texas and Alabama. When you look at those four, those games are going to be held against those teams all year. You know, Notre Dame, they could be running the table, as we pointed out, possibly. That Ohio State game is still going to be what everybody goes back to. And Texas, can they hang around uh, with Alabama? Because I have no idea what they expect in the Big 12. No one, I mean, just going through, it feels like everybody played seven one-score games last year. So could Texas, you know, when these narratives start being formed, can Texas compete and have that good perspective, you know, that perception of people like, yeah, I watched that Alabama game. They got the goods. They they, they, they should get the benefit of the doubt when the playoffs, you know, comes around. Because uh, their team, I, I think, if they get out of that game healthy, they can run the table with the offensive uh, power they have. So it's uh, it's a tricky spot for Utah. I, I, and another thing is whenever the Pac-12 gets in these situations, aside from Oregon, Ohio State, it never works out for the Pac-12. And that's, that's what's really, really hurt the perception of the Pac-12 is they can't get these wins in, in the out of conference. And uh, it's not going to change. I don't think until they start getting these wins. To, to your point, I, I, I'd like to know the last, uh, last power five team that came out of an Alabama game intact. Like, it feels like they just, they've broken Florida state's program. <laughs> the limb 2017. They broke Miami. Yeah. They yeah, broke Miami last year. I like, it took them uh, two months to get back on track. It felt like. 
USC, I think it was when David uh, Cutcliffe retired uh, at halftime of the game. When they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, no, uh, only because Vanderbilt is the unofficial second uh, college football program of the show, and uh, the the head coach is a, a friend of our dear podcast here. I don't know if you have any feeling of where the uh, Clark Lee and the Fighting Commodores may be headed in a year or two there. It can't be worse than last yeah. year, right? No, it can't. You know, like, Definitely can't. It can't. Uh, so <laughs> they lose a Hawaii this week. They might, it would still be better than losing I, at home to East Tennessee State. No, I, I, and that's what I say. I look at like getting these things over with. You know, if you have the Vandy over and you lose on the island this week, you're not getting there. You're not getting there. So if you want to, you know, you got a little juice. You could you, that one could be over by by uh, the end of September, I think. Uh, with the with the scale, all you need is three. You get one, and then you need two more. Uh, I don't think they're going to win a conference game. Uh, so those out of conference games are pretty <laughs> important for the old Commodores. It's funny. I remember last year, Kansas over under was one. They opened Friday night with an FCS team. And I thought, you're not going to lose this, right? Even though the juice was really big. And I think they barely won it and they ended up being Texas. I did not place that, yeah. but you live and you learn. Um, you talked about teams that are replenishing through the portal and relying on the portal maybe a little too much. Who are the teams like the Wake Forest of the world that have kind of gone the opposite way that might have a little more unity, for, for lack of a better term, that, that will allow them to punch above their weight and probably be better than they should be uh, based on the talent on the roster and the star rating? Uh, I'm, I'm a believer in NC State. Uh, I, I think, you know, people want to talk about culture, and I saw they had the least amount of guys enter the portal. I think they had seven, um, and none of them were on, on the 2 deep. They get their whole two deep back uh, in the last. I want to say five years. They've um, they they're they're second in the conference behind Clemson. And when I think about NC State and Doran's kind of a quirky dude. You talk to yeah. people that played for him at Wisconsin, and you know they. I don't think they would go out with him, you know, for a beer, but they respect the hell out of him as a coach, and that's fine. You know, if 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 you, I, I always say players should go want to play for their head coach. And that's where the dynamic of these guys leaving and all that, that's a whole other conversation for another day. But I look at NC State's schedule, and I also think about the offseason they had. Guys, when, when that game got canceled the day of against Carolina, uh, UCLA in that bowl game, they, if they won that game, they had a chance to be the second team in school history to win 10 games. That, that, that leaves a bad, bad taste in your mouth. And I think they've had a great offseason. I think that's a team that knows um, – that everything is gettable. You know, people could say what they want about Clemson. NC State still did beat them last year. And Dabo's, you know, still say they have 10 wins. So I look at Clemson the same. Uh, but I look at NC State. The quarterback dynamic in that league is pretty fascinating to me because if people are going to say Clemson is going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the best team, I think there's six quarterbacks I would take over DJ. In that conference, I really do, and and Devin Leary's one of them. Uh, so I just they got to figure out some things at running back, but I'm not really worried about that. The defense should be a a, a, a strength to the nth degree. Uh, they get guys back that didn't even play last year that were all conference guys the year before. Um, they do have a tricky game at East Carolina. Like I was looking at the time of day that game was because if that was a night game, I think that takes on a whole other level. Uh, but East Carolina will be ready. They got a ton of guys coming back. I think Houston's done a good job there. Uh, but I do think NC State, they do get Clemson. But I, I, I see double-digit wins for them. I really do. I like Leary. I think he's great in pressure situations, too. And that's when I look at these quarterbacks, like, hey, what's this guy do when the game's on the line at two-minute? Or when I need to score, what are they doing? And um, he, didn't, he didn't turn the ball over much at all. And that's another factor why I, I like NC State. I believe in and what they've built there. And I expect a big year from them this year. It's kind of a, a pivot to a different line of questioning. like off college football, more on the show that you do with, with Scott. And mm -hmm. to me, it's like very unique in a very loud and sometimes obnoxious sports media space. So like, why does that show work as well as it does? Cause like, it seems to me, it feels unique in sort of not just college football space or college athletics, but just like sports in general. 
Well, it's pretty simple. Um, when, I mean, we're going to start our, I mean, we're start, we started this week. Uh, this is our eighth year already uh, doing the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center. And uh, all the credit goes to him. He said we were going to do certain things and we've continued to do them. He said we were going to do bad beats and we tried doing it on the radio show way back in the day. And the visual, I think, is what blows people away of being able to see this stuff. And, you know, last night we did bad beats. We had a soccer game that the over was two and it was one nothing and two own goals in the 90 plus minute come in and you're just like, <laughs> but to see that and be like, guys, it's not your goal and you're gave it up and now the over is all messed up. But anyway, um, he, he said he was going to do what he was wanting to do. And that's why we haven't gotten into having on multiple panels and talking about this topic. We come in, we meet at four 30 on a zoom. We throw all the ideas against the wall. Scott brings his ideas to the table and then it's a process to move him forward. And his name's on the show and we, we, we do what he wants to do. And that's why he's the best in the business because what he brings, I feel like is, is an in interesting perspective from him, but also what people want to see, whether it's a feel good thing or a tough story to do. Uh, we're going to do those things and not be afraid of them. And we're going to have Scott's twist on it. So it, it's, it's all him. He's the face of it. And that's why it's good because it's him and it's his. <laughs> I, I think at least for me, that soccer game, great example. Like I didn't follow it. I wasn't betting on it. The minute I see that segment come on and I see the time and the score, I immediately get like physically nauseous just knowing that someone <laughs> lost a lot of money on this, which is why it's such a great, um, great segment. What, what's the most memorable, I guess, in the bad beat in the college football space, excluding the Cincinnati Duke belt bowl that you guys lead with oh. a lot um, as oh. the intro to the segment. I, I still think it's, uh, it's Abilene Christian in Virginia. That's way it's, it's made its way onto our montage. Um, Virginia was up a ton, and they were given – I don't forget the, the, the score. But they're up a ton, and they're backed up in their own uh, five-yard line. And I, from the stories that I gather, they had a mix-up in the wristband of what the play was going to be, and they th attempted to throw a double pass in their own end zone. <laughs> so they get a safety and then Abilene Christian gets the ball and scores against all the bad guys uh, for Virginia. So now it's, it's in flux and then Abilene Christian has the ball again and they throw a pick six on the last play of the game. And it's just like all these things that happened were just incredible because there was a celebration penalty on Abilene Christian for scoring a touchdown which affected field position. Like it just had all the goods. People have posted it a million times on, on uh, Twitter or YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. But that's because that's the freshest one in my mind, because of when we did it, um, it was fans reaching out being like, Hey, you got to take a look at this. And then, like I said, the visual, you, you're, you're just looking at the score and the spread. Like how the hell is this going to happen? How has this happened? And then, a pick six on the last play of the game is how it happens. So it, uh, that, that's the one that sticks out to me for sure. All right. I am not much of a gambler at all. I think my only mm -hmm. wager on the books for this year is George Pickens, uh, rookie of oh. the year plus 3000. Do you like, you like where I stand on that one? As long as they keep a guy that's going to keep throwing them the football. Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're selling yourself short. You had a uh, Bennett Skoranek making a catch in the Super Bowl. Oh, that's true. Yeah, my last wager was Bennett <laughs> oh. Skoranek. Will he make a catch in the Super Bowl? I think it paid out in the first quarter. So it's like it was ten dollars nice. richer right there. <laughs> is is the dynamic change at all, Steve? With it being legal now, like it used to be, like a very niche following, especially on TV. It was like, wow, you're the. I remember when I was at ESPN, like we were not allowed to, yeah, reference lines or gambling when writing and now it's like how can you not do it well i think the frustrating thing has been somebody that's been been doing it and now you get you know why all the commercials all right why are they out there why is everybody you know drafting sandal whatever it's to get the people that haven't bet involved and and seeing you know free hundred dollars if you put a hundred dollars on all right so it's not really free but you're giving me a hundred so maybe it is it just gets people thinking 
But the problem is, is I think about, you know, all these 18 parlays and this guy says, oh, I hit seven of them. And this is, this is a bad beat. I lost the eighth. And I'm like, he's like, I lost, you know, $25,000. I'm like, you didn't lose $25,000. You bet 50. So you lost 50. So, and then it's all the, 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 the futures or, or championships that, Hey, if you had this, you could have won this. All right. Well, show me the person that had it. I don't like, I, I know what the odds were, uh, but nobody had it. So, is it a story? No, I don't think it is. It's, it was it a possibility? Yeah. But did it happen? No. So who, what's the story there? It's just a, a thing to say, you know, well, look at me. And that, that's where it kind of gets tiresome where there's so much of it going on with the online and states legalizing it that it's kind of watered it down to me and made it frustrating of, of, of the possibility thing. Whereas show me, show me the winner. I want to, I'm going to know somebody that won it, you know? <laughs> So if you're, uh, I know you had mentioned sort of a, um, you're trying to figure out who the fourth team is. Like, if we yeah. had to put money on it. Like, who would you put it on today? Oof. Um, I pro- well, you got to figure Pac-12, Big 12, or ACC, right? And the problem is, is the path, you've seen it with the ACC, with mm-hmm. Clemson, you know? And that's where they're. When you look at the odds to make the playoff, they're the next team, right? So I mentioned those first three in in Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. Clemson's the the next highest, and I think it's because of familiarity. I would go, you know, off the bat. I'll tell you what else is 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 a team that could be a top five team and stay there for a while if they go two and zero is Pitt. Like if Pitt blows the doors off of West Virginia and they beat Tennessee at Tennessee last year, they're not going to be afraid of Tennessee. I, if you want a flyer, like way down the radar, I love what Pitt brings to the table defensively. Narduzzi is an absolute crazy person. You guys know that. Yes. Um, and it gets in the way of his in-game situation sometimes. Uh, but Pitt is a team that's way down because I get it. They lost Addison and they lost uh, Pickett. But I think Slovis is more than capable uh, coming in. And I think Addison was more of a result of the other talent they got, they, they had at receiver. Like, I, I think I think Mario Williams is going to be the receiver at USC this year, not Addison. I think Mario Williams is going to put up bigger numbers. So I look at Pitt and what they bring back on both lines of scrimmage, I, I really like what they have uh, there. So if you want a team way down there, I would say that. Um, NC State's a team. I don't – I want to say Texas, but I don't think they can hold up defensively through the year. They're going to They're going to change their defense, they say. They're going to put more down guys, you know, in the box to help against the run. Um, but I still think they're a year away from a roster standpoint where you need guys where you could rotate, you know, seven, eight guys in the D-line. They don't have that. But I love their offense. I think, I mean, playmaker-wise, they got they got guys all over the place. Um, and I'm not sure the Big 12, uh, and I mentioned how many one-score games there are. I, I don't think they have the build yet. I think this is a big year for them to take the next step and maybe get to eight, win, you know, eight, nine wins. Um, but you know, and probably Utah. Uh, even though I, I, I like UCLA to win the Pac-12s, uh, that out of those tiers, I, I think UCLA has the goods to to beat Utah. And, and if I out of those three, Utah, USC, UCLA, I would be I'd get better odds, and I would take UCLA. Well, last one for me. I have a Heisman draft coming up here. Beyond oh. the uh, later today, beyond the obvious, and frankly, outside of last year. They really have been mostly dark horses. Um, who are some long shots you think could could factor into that race here? Well, my mission this year is to get Michael Mayer to New York. That's that's the goal. So I'm looking for an odds maker to give me odds on Michael Mayer making it to New York because I've uh, I've, I've so wanted to see uh, a tight end go there. Um, I look at a kid at Dylan Gabriel who I absolutely loved at UCF and. You know, we mentioned Ole Miss in in the earlier, and one of the dynamics I'm not sure about Ole Miss because Jeff Levy, their offense coordinator, goes to Oklahoma. Jeff Levy was offense coordinator at UCF when Dylan Gabriel was a true freshman, and he just took off and ran. And I was blown away with what the kid did as a true freshman. And they still have enough pieces uh, at the skill positions. I think you know they kept their old line coach and beat him by. They're going to be better. Um, I think one of the best things about Lane Kiffin and especially Levy comboed. Last year, their offensive line wasn't great, 
but they coached around that and got the ball out and made defenses run sideline to sideline, and that gave them advantages in running situations later in the game. So Dylan Gabriel's a kid uh, for sure, and then UCLA running back Zach Charbonnet is probably way down the board, uh, but I think he's going to have a monster year uh, for UCLA. Um, so those are those are two. I mean, it, it's it's tough to go back to the running back, man. It's like the forgotten man in the sport now, but I think Charbonnet is a guy who who could take on the load. Um, and um, the problem is, is wins are are what these are all based on, right? You know, uh, what is it? RG three is the last quarterback to win with, or last player to win with three losses. I, I, I think that's right. Lamar, Lamar, um, probably too, right there, right? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Lamar was so. Um, it's a guy. I, I don't. I like a lot of the ACC quarterbacks. I don't know if they're going to win enough. Um, Miami has a has a great chance this year. I still do think they're like Texas. They're a year away where they need more depth on the lines of scrimmage, but um. They have a, a great opportunity when they go to College Station Week Three. Uh, I'm fired up to see what they they bring to the table because I know that fan base is is starving uh, to see something. So um, Dylan Gabriel is the one I gave out to be in the summer, and I'll I'll, I'll stick with him because I I could see him putting up absolutely monster numbers. All right, last Mayor's me, uh, pl- Mayor's okay. plus ten thousand. By the way, Ooh. I'm at him oh. right now. Get it while it's put right. it in. Put it in. Let's throw that in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, Swan Mayor. Last time I think you were at a Notre Dame game, Mayor caught a ball off uh, some poor linebackers back. Um, I want to know, like, will we see you at a Notre Dame game this year? Notre Dame at Burst Navy in Baltimore. Can we get Scott there for a little, like, Baltimore, Maryland uh, food and drink recommendation? Uh, that's definitely about what we, what is that October? It's November. It's late in the year. So, Ooh, okay. All right. Uh, no, that's definitely a possibility. I was hoping. Actually, I have friends down in Chapel Hill, and mm. um, I want to get down there, but I have a, a, a wedding I'm attending that weekend, so that is not there. Uh, I'm actually fired up for Notre Dame people. If I didn't go to Stanford, I was going to go to North Carolina and play for Mac Brown, and that, I mean, the last time they didn't have fans, right, when Notre Dame went there and yeah. won with Ian Yeah, Bush? it was a COVID-ed year, that's, yeah, 2020. That's going to be an awesome, awesome atmosphere. Uh, that place is great, and that's why... I think it's one of these sleeping giants where they just haven't gotten there. Um, they've always had to play. You know, there's a there was an elite team in front of them uh, with Clemson a couple of years ago, and and I go all the way back to Mac. You know, having to try and beat Florida State every year. So I, I, Notre Dame fans, if you're going to that, be fired up for that. Chapel Hill is that's that's Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Durham. That's my favorite area of the country. Uh, that if you haven't been there, you should be fired up to go to that game. So I will put Notre Dame Navy. Um, on the calendar for sure, you guys. November twelfth. All right. Noon. I mean, good, it's even a noon to- start, so you can you know you got plenty of time to get on the air later. Notre Dame Navy's a noon game. We'll get some crab cakes for breakfast. We'll be good to Perfect. go. Perfect. November twelfth. It's a date. We're on it. Love it. All right. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, guys.